we're going to continue on in our Sabbath series. And uh, today, <clears throat> I want to address something that typically happens uh, to believers as they begin to embrace the truth of the Shabbat, not just embrace it, but as they attempt to convey that truth to their peers and meaning their Christian friends, their family, uh, even their uh, leaders and, and pastors. You know, one of the things that has struck me over the years is how uh, Christians respond, if you will, to someone who has embraced the Shabbat and the conviction to actually keep it holy as we read in Scripture as it's commanded. Because what you find is oftentimes the response is very, very negative. And that's a shocker to many people because here we are, you know, you think back to, to what happened when we embraced the Shabbat. We saw this truth. We, oh, we got so excited. It was spectacular. It was incredible. This, this is amazing truth. I cannot, you, you can't be contained. You cannot wait to share it with the entire world. And you just know in your mind, my friends are going to be floored. When I share the truth of the Shabbat with them. In fact, oh wait, and this is where you really get into fantasy land. <laughs> then you think about, oh my goodness, wait till my pastor hears what I have to share with him. Certainly, the next week, he's going to be keeping services on Shabbat. And we're going to go skipping down the road, holding hands into the Shabbat sunset together. I will be his favorite congregant ever. <laughs> and that's not too far from reality because we create this expectation because of our joy. Because of how happy we are of what we found. The problem is, is when we bring this, we experience a very different reality. We experience opposition. We experience frustration. In fact, we experience questioning like that of what type of Kool-Aid have you got yourself into and what cult have you joined? And you, you think about the things that start coming out of their mouths. And I, I really want you to think about some of these things that we've heard. They start to question whether or not you have left the faith. They start to question, and listen to me carefully, whether, why you are walking away from a relationship with Yeshua and entering into a workspace system. This, this is the response. This is what we're confronted with. I mean, how many of you can testify that you've dealt with something similar to what I'm expressing? How do we respond? How do we respond when we're confronted with opposition? How should we be responding to our friends and family, to our pastors, to our Christian peers, leaders, who we love, who we respect, who we've been on the mission field with, that we've proclaimed the gospel with, what do we say to these people? This is what we're going to answer today, how we approach this. And I want to begin by taking you to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. Paul tells us how to handle this. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they will generate strife. In other words, just briefly, don't get caught up in foolish arguments. Don't let Satan allure you to, into stupid arguments. Do not get caught up in emotional arguments. Don't do it. Because it's, then it's not about truth. It's about each person staking their claim. I'm right, 
that person's going to say, I'm right, we're not leaving until we set our peace. It's completely emotional. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God will perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. This is how we respond. We respond in this way. Paul gives us powerful tools to engage with. And, and two that I want to point out right away is gentleness and humility. You need to understand something. When you're confronted with this opposition, gentleness and humility must lead the charge. You get in this conversation and you do not have gentleness and humility leading the charge. You will corrupt the truth. I don't care how much scripture you quote. I don't care how carefully you quote it. If it's done with arrogance, if it's done with pride, you corrupt it. Satan corrupts scripture in this very way. Remember, he utilizes scripture. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, I think, and every hand should go up when I say this, sometimes we get caught and we're more concerned about winning the argument. We're more concerned about being right than we are about being righteous. And there's a difference. Don't fall into that trap. There is a difference. When I'm concerned about being right, that's when pride and arrogance comes in the way. That's when I need to exalt myself over somebody else who I need to win this debate. On. But when I come at it with righteousness, that's when love that's when humility, that's when gentleness leads the charge. And you disarm the adversary. Very, very powerful uh, tools to employ. In addition to that, Paul mentions something else. Critical. Pay close attention. Patience. Patience. And what this means in real life, in a practical stance, it means when you go and you share the Shabbat with, with uh, your Christian friends or your, your pastor or whoever it is, and they turn and say, well, that's interesting. And you slam your head, no, it's not, it's truth. That's not how we respond, okay? So that's just becoming, you're going to do what I say when I say it. That's, that's not what's going on here. That's not what this is about. Patience. We need to have patience and understand with all due respect, even if you knock it out of the park and you deliver and the Holy Spirit's upon you and you deliver the truth in love and they felt the love and they see the truth, but they're just not grabbing onto it. They shouldn't because they're supposed to be Berean. And so the concept is, is that as you're delivering truth, you're not there to convince them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Amen. So, Patience. It's okay if they don't, if you, you even feel that, well, I don't think they really listen to me. Well, let the Holy Spirit work it out. As long as you did your part for the Lord, let the Holy Spirit work the rest of it. Be patient and don't give up. See, if you give up, that's not patience. How is that long suffering? It's not. We need to have patience. Another tool that needs to be implemented, which we're really going to focus on, we need to be prepared to teach. We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. You know, it's like, it's like Peter says, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. 
We're to defend the gospel. We're to, Jude tells us to earnestly contend for the faith, right? We need to be ready for this. And this doesn't mean you got to know every scripture in the word about the Shabbat and you got to have the Hebrew or Greek memorized and how the scriptures are. What it means is you need to grab the scriptures that turned your heart, that spoke to you, that the Holy Spirit spoke to you and have them ready to share your experience so that they can see it in the word of God. You know, what, is, what does Paul talk about? If you go on a couple chapters, as you get into chapter four, he says, convince Rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, meaning patience, and teaching. I mean, this is the method. Convince, rebuke, exhort, and obviously gentleness and humility leading the charge with patience and with teaching. And this is, an, this is, this is something that Paul is trying to really get across to Timothy. It's vital. Timothy is a teacher. He's a proclaimer of the gospel. And let me be clear on something. This doesn't just apply to the Shabbat. This applies to the gospel, period. If you don't have gentleness and humility, if you're not prepared to teach the gospel, you're going to fall on your face. And you're going to do the person, there's a good chance you'll do that person some serious harm. Now, for me personally, there's one concept that I have found to be extremely effective in the realm of sharing the truth of the Shabbat, a very, very powerful concept uh, to employ. And it, it has this, if you will, this unique way of delivering understanding, the understanding of the Shabbat that really comes in handy, especially when you consider where mainstream Christianity is today, where they're at in regard to the Shabbat. In other words, we peer out in mainstream Christianity, and there are thousands, even millions of professed Christians who've, who profess Christ, Jesus as Lord, who have committed themselves to him. They're faithful and diligent to go to church every week, and yet not a one of them is keeping the Shabbat. Understand, this is a massive stumbling block to many people when they hear this message, this truth about the Sabbath. In fact, I can tell you this is one of the primary stumbling blocks that prevents somebody from wholeheartedly embracing it and, and start to put it into practice. Because think about this, okay? Just step back and think about the scenario for a moment. You come in, you share the truth of the Shabbat with them. Gentleness, humility, everything's going beautifully. They feel the love, they see it. They see it in the word of God and they're convicted. And they go home and they start to be Berean and they start to make sure that these things are so and they're like, man, this is truth. And they grab it. But then they go to church on Sunday. And what happens is they start to peer out and look at all their, their friends, their family, all the people they respect, the people they've been on the front lines with in ministry. And they start to ask themselves, they start to have doubts. They start to get confused. They're saying, how can this be? All these people who I know love the Lord and none of them are keeping the Shabbat. How could this possibly be truth? The major stumbling block. I'm going to tell you something. This particular concept that we're going to cover today, it has the power to reconcile that issue. It has the power to move mountains. And what is this concept? It's very simple. Concept of growth. Don't be deceived by its simplicity. 
You may feel that you were expecting some complex answer here, that this lacks complexity. What it lacks in complexity, it makes up for in power and effect. Very, very effective, this concept of sharing growth. This is a concept that's going to help that particular someone understand how the Shabbat can be the truth. It can be the will of God for our lives. And yet at the same time, they're able to understand why the majority of Christianity is simply not keeping it. And yet it's apparent that many of them are truly following the Lord, that they're in a right relationship with the Lord. But this concept, here's the thing about this, the concept doesn't just help us out with that issue. It actually helps us address the argument when someone comes up to you and tells you, you know, I really, I have a concern for you. That's great that you've grabbed on the Shabbat, but I really have a concern for you that you're walking away from the faith, that you're walking out of a relationship with Yeshua, and you're trying to replace that with the workspace system. This concept deals with this, this concept of growth. And, and let me say this. I want you to understand something very clearly. When someone has the truth of the Shabbat revealed to them, and they embrace it, and they start putting it into practice, understand, make no mistake, that is a product of relationship. It's a product of relationship. When you're in relationship with the Lord, the natural ebb and flow of a good relationship, it's growth. That's the natural flow of things. You start to think about relationships. When you're in a good relationship with someone, you learn. You learn what they like and what they don't like. You learn what they hate and what they love. You learn what breaks their heart. You learn what melts their heart. You learn all of these things. Think about, just think about the books that have been written dedicated to this very scenario of relationship. The, 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 the language of love book or whatever. The five languages of love. We have all heard that. Yes? No? The book was written for the whole concept that you need to understand what your spouse desires from you. You need to know. Do they need access to service? Do they need quality time? You need to meet that. Why? To have a good relationship. It's about relationship. And here's where I'm going with this. The point is, is our relationship with the Lord is no different. Okay? The more we seek him, as the song says, the more we will find him. The more we will discover the Lord's love language. What it is that he desires from us. Things like the Shabbat. And so embracing the Shabbat, understand it's merely a manifestation of growth within the relationship. It doesn't mean that prior to keeping it, we weren't saved. It doesn't mean that prior to that, we didn't have a true relationship. Actually, it's just the opposite. The fact that we found the Shabbat is evidence that we are growing in relationship with Yeshua. It's not a bad thing. This is, this is a good thing and it should be celebrated as such. And so this is a concept that we really need to get our arms wrapped around and, and not just understand for ourselves. But we need to be able to convey this to our believing brothers and sisters. Uh, because when we implement this concept properly in our conversations, it's going to move mountains. It will move the mountains of doubt. It will move the mountains of confusion. It will move the mountains of stumbling blocks. Very, very powerful. And I can tell you, um, you know, I always didn't do things so well, okay? 
Many of times I have uh, fallen on my face over the years and you start to develop understanding and, and God starts to shine down his grace even more and you start incorporating love better to be more effective. And so we, we got to take to heart all these tools that Paul's talking about in 2 Timothy and we need to start implementing them. Now, having said that, I want to take you to Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I want to show you some scripture. We need to get into scripture uh, so that you have some at your disposal to use as weapons to help uh, bring understanding to the Shabbat in this reality of your growth in relationship with Yeshua. And so going to Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, this is what we read. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge... And all discernment. Now think about this. Paul shows us here that the expectation for a believer in Yeshua, it's growth. Growth. It's only natural when you're in a true relationship with him to actually grow. And specifically in this manner. Knowledge and discernment. That means that the expectation that is placed upon us as believers is that we will actually continue to learn about the things of the faith. We become students of the word. We grow in his knowledge. We grow in discernment. We apply those principles, the the things that we read about, to our life. Things like the Shabbat. It's growth. This is a manner of growing. Now, as we continue, Paul is going to... uh, He's actually going to tell us why we need to grow. And this is very important, why we need to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. He goes on and says in verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Mashiach. So we're to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Why? Paul tells us we may approve the things that are excellent. In other words, so that we know the difference between right and wrong. Between good and evil, darkness and light. So we know the difference between the things that the Lord wants us to do and the things that he doesn't want us to do. Like, forget the Shabbat. I mean, this is the whole concept. But the question here is, where do we find this knowledge? Okay, we're supposed to grow in knowledge. What does that mean? Where do we find this knowledge? The answer is very simple. We find it in the Torah. This is the knowledge of God. And I want to be very clear here. This is exactly what Paul is conveying to us in this very passage. When he says that you may approve the things that are excellent, he is explicitly referring to the Torah. Now you may say, how do you know that? I know this because he makes this statement elsewhere in one of his other epistles, specifically the epistle of Romans. But what's interesting is, is when he quotes this statement he gives us a little more clarity as to what he means, what his intentions are by the statement that we may approve the things that are excellent. And I want to just take you there briefly so you, so we're very clear on the information that Paul is conveying, the message that he is conveying to us. In Romans 2.17, he says, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the Torah and make your boast in God and know his will. And here's, here it is. And you approve the things that are excellent. The very same statement. But now the question is, what does he mean? Approve the things that are excellent. Tells us right after being instructed out of the Torah. 
right out of the Torah. So Paul teaches us to, he's teaching us grow in the faith. We're to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. And how is that done? Interesting. By going to the Torah. We're to go and study his word, his knowledge. And so when you see Christians all over the world, like we are today, they're starting to embrace things like dietary laws, which we've talked about in this series, where they stop eating pork, they stop eating ham, where they start keeping biblical holidays rather than pagan holidays, and they start to observe the seventh-day Shabbat. Understand, they're not trading their relationship for a workspace system. They're doing exactly what the Apostle Paul told them to do. They're investigating. They're approving the things that are excellent. They are seeking the knowledge of the Lord. And it's not to seek just simply to find, but to apply. Amen? And it's this, this intimacy and the, the knowledge that Christians are supposed to be longing for. We should be longing for his wisdom, for his knowledge. This is the heart of the righteous men that we read about in the scriptures. This is where they were at. They were craving the Torah. They were craving God's word. Let me give you a few examples. In Psalm 119, 18, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your Torah. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. Think about this as a prayer. He's begging, Lord, do not hide your commandments from me. Fascinating because the mantra today in the church, unfortunately, is don't talk to me about the law. It's a curse. This is the lie that the enemy has sown. When I look to the righteous men who feared the living God and whom God moved through in power, this is what they're saying. They're crying out. Do not hide your commandment from me. One of which is the Shabbat. Don't hide it from me. Psalm 25 verse 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. And on you I will wait all the day. Over and over. The begging. Teach me. You want to know something to incorporate in your prayer? We're covering it today. Crying out to Yeshua. Teach me. I want to be a disciple of you, Lord Yeshua. I need to be taught. I need your teaching. Matthew 6.33, which Paul quote, or Craig quoted. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. This is, what, this is Yeshua teaching us. We're supposed to be his disciples. And he is calling for us to seek his righteousness. Psalm 19.172, all your commandments are righteousness. All his commandments. We need to not seek nine We need to seek all of them. Amen? All of them are righteousness. And this is Yeshua. He's crying out, this has to be on the forefront. I think about this. You want to talk about a game changer. You want to talk about required commitment. This is commitment. This means you're committed. The world is behind you. You care nothing for the things of the world. You have to leave the world because you set your pursuit on something completely, totally Uh, Contrary to the world system. It's on his righteousness, on his Torah. The prophet Hosea 6.3. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. 
The prophets are speaking this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is the call. This is the cry. We are to pursue it fervently. It's got to be in front of us. Proverbs 1, 5. A wise man will hear, and what will they do? Increase in learning. You know, it's like Leonard Ravenhill said. The sinner's prayer has sent more people to hell than all the bars in America. Because the concept is you said a prayer, you're okay. You can just stand there and fold your hands. Everything is fine. Everything I read in scripture says it's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. We are told we must increase and in learning. We must seek after his righteousness. We must pursue the knowledge of the Lord. There is no stagnation in the faith. I want to be very clear on that. One of the things that Judy prayed this morning in prayer is against complacency. And that is, that is an evil that is so deceptive that creeps in and we don't even know we're becoming complacent because it's just picking away at us a little each day, numbing us. Crazy when you see this stuff. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8, listen to what Paul says. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit. See, I love this. Now we're talking about the Ruach HaKodesh. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. This is something that all Christianity can get their arms wrapped around. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And what does it do? Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Think about this. In other words, the move of the Holy Spirit, when you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it will do one thing. It will drive you to the Torah. It will drive you to his word. Let me, let me share with you my own personal testimony. I'm not going to get into it. I'll just give you the condensed version. I was living in the world. I was living according to the world system. My values were the world's values. Until one day, and I mean one day, the Holy Spirit came upon me and said, enough. I mean, it was powerful. And I stopped. I immediately turned around. I left my friends. I left a lot of things behind that day. And I'm not kidding you. The Holy Spirit was on me so heavy. I had never consumed the word in my entire life like I had consumed it then. And I realized the Spirit of God was upon me. I, 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 for the first time in my life, understood what it meant to taste and see that the Lord is good. I understood what it meant is that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I understood that, and I have this passion I never had. I read more scripture in a few months than I read in my entire life ten, times ten. And that's all attributed to one thing. And I trust me on this had nothing to do with me. Had nothing to do with what I thought it had to do with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Spirit does. This is something that has been lost in evangelical Christianity. This understanding that the fruit of the Spirit will drive us to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. We will study and we will study. We will not twiddle our thumbs and say, well, we said a prayer one time. We're fine. It's okay. I'm not too worried. That is not the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit of Antichrist. That's the spirit of the devil. You know, the natural motion of the spirit of God. Let me go back to this. The natural motion, it's to grow. It's to grow. And man, when you study botany or you study plants, 
we got to remember God created this stuff. Well, what you discover is you start to see spiritual realities in his creation. Well, in Romans 1 would tell us that's exactly what's going on. Romans 1 would suggest that. It's amazing. The Lord anoints Solomon. He starts talking about with the, with the Holy Spirit. And Solomon starts talking about all of his creation. He starts mentioning this. And it, it will dawn on you like, man, when you actually study creation, this is incredible. The spiritual dimensions, the spiritual realities that exist there are mind-blowing. I'll just give you a little taste of that. When, when, you, when you see what it takes for growth, for a plant to grow... It takes, number one, it takes three things, three primary things. Number one, it takes good soil. You have to have good soil. You know, what I would call the good soil of the faith. And not just that, you have to have water. Now, how many times have we read in Scripture, the Ruach HaKodesh is likened to water, living water. In fact, Yeshua says in John chapter 7, the living water would flow out of our hearts. And then he specifically says, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh. We need that water. It's not an option. But that's not the only thing. We also need the sun. We need the heat. We need the light of the sun. And it's interesting that when you look at this sun, how many times when we look at light is the Torah equated to light? Right? Uh, Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto thy path. You, you, you think about uh, Proverbs 6, the commandment is a lamp and the Torah, it's a light. You think about the root word, the root actual of the Hebrew of Torah is or. It means light. And so you hear you have the good soil of the faith. You have the light of the Torah and you have the Ruach HaKodesh, the anointing. And all of these things work together perfectly. They work together the way the Lord designed them to work together. But listen to me carefully. Remove any one of these elements and there's death. That plant will not survive. You remove the good soil of faith, you're done. You remove that beautiful anointing of the Ruach HaKodesh, you're done. It needs water. It'll dry up. You can saturate yourself with the Torah all day long. You need the Ruach to understand it. But if I'm to say, well, I don't need the sun, I don't need the light, you are deceived. We need the Torah. The Spirit tells us we need the Torah. Scripture tells us we need the Torah. And so we're so much... As people, as believers, this imagery reflects who we are supposed to be. And we're to grow with all these elements. It causes growth. And with that sun coming down, you have, what do they, what do they call that? Photosynthesis? I should ask my daughters. They know these things. Photosynthesis, where the plants take the light. And they literally take the light of the Torah, if you will. And they transform it into power. It becomes energy, it becomes power. And what do plants do? Well, without plants, we die. Because plants give us life. They produce life, they produce oxygen. They take out, it's amazing when you look at plants, they take out the carbon dioxide, they take out the bad, they remove the bad, and they give life. This is our calling. Remove the bad and give life, right? The simple point I'm trying to make here we need to convey this information 
of growth to our brothers and sisters, to the pastors, to the teachers that, you know what, have spoken into our lives, that have labored for the kingdom, who even though they may not have the truth in regard to the Shabbat, perhaps they can be provoked in a positive way to study it out and to have a clear understanding that this is not a works-based thing. This is relationship. This is the intent of Yeshua for us. And, you know, we shouldn't be out there questioning whether or not they're saved. Amen? Bring the truth and bring it in love. Hebrews 12, 14, let's build upon this. Pursue peace with all people. What a great lesson. And holiness. Pursue holiness. Man, you want to talk when you think about things that are considered holy. One of the first things that pops up in your mind is the Shabbat. Pursue it. Pursue holiness. But listen to what he says here. Without which no one will see the Lord. You want to know how important growth is in your relationship with Yeshua? For you to stop, for you to become complacent, you're dead man walking. We must pursue. We will not see the Lord unless we're driving forth. And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're to run the race as the only one would win. Could you imagine being just in this room? And the Lord coming down said, okay, here's the deal. You guys line up. We're going to run the race. Only one of you is going to make it. How scary would that be? It's a good thing he's not going to do that because I'm not very fast anymore. <laughs> Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And here's the thing. This is why Paul is telling us pursue knowledge. Pursue the knowledge of the Lord because he knows exactly what the prophet said. He knows that you will be destroyed without it. Take away the sun. Take away the light of the sun. Everything dies. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you from being Cohen for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children. You think about that. This terrifies me. You're not just going to be removed. You're not just going to be forgotten. Your children are going to be forgotten. Because why do we know that? We know that because you did not train them up in the ways of the Lord. You did not teach them the Torah. You did not teach them the fear of the Lord. Therefore, they felt to be able to do just like mom and dad. Walk in complete lawlessness. We don't need the knowledge of God. We'll walk according to the dictates of our own heart. I love this Proverbs, Proverbs 23, 23. Buy truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. This is what we are called to. And it's so amazing when you see people that come into the faith and first and foremost, the gospel of our salvation, Yeshua. When people accept Yeshua and they have that passion and they have that love and they have that desire They're riding high. They're on cloud nine. There's nothing that moves them. It's powerful. They have bought truth and they're not going to sell it. They're not going to go back. In the very same way, I can tell you, I've seen it with the Shabbat. Believers, ever believers from a year old to 40 years have been in the faith. Who when they come into the knowledge of Shabbat, they said, Daniel, I can't go back. I've learned, I've learned this. I just can't go back. You know they've thought about it, but they go to bed at night and say, I can't. I know the truth. And the beautiful thing is they have bought truth and they will not sell it. They take it. 
They take it and they will not give it up. It's a precious pearl. I want to close today with this story. We're not going to get into the whole story. I could spend much more time, but I'm just going to keep it brief. I want to give you a real life example of a person who had a real relationship with the Lord. But he didn't have all the elements of Torah. He didn't have the Torah. But it didn't mean that he wasn't saved. It didn't mean he wasn't in a good relationship with the Lord. And this is a story, I got to tell you, that on many, many levels, it mirrors the reality of the modern day church today. And it's a story about King Josiah. And scripture tells us that Josiah was a man. He was a good man. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as, as David did. But here's the thing. For the first 10 years, I want you to think about this. The first 10 years of his kingship, he did not possess the Torah. Okay, that doesn't come about until later, until he commands Shaphan, the scribe, to go and repair the house of the Lord. And Josiah, he sends Shaphan to Hilkiah the priest with the command, you need to repair the house of the Lord, at which point we pick it up in the story. This is what we read. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it, dropping down to verse 10. Then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king saying, Hilkiah the Cohen has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the Torah that he tore his clothes. In other words, Josiah, he took to heart the word of the Lord. When he heard the Torah read, he believed it. He was humble. He was convicted. Now let me be clear. Prior to this, There was no question that Josiah was in a right relationship with Hashem. There was no question that his heart was set to do good. And proof of this is is he gave the order to go repair the temple of the Lord. He loved the Lord. He wanted to do what was right. But now, pay attention, now we see growth. Now we hear something from the Lord, directly from the Torah, something he had never heard before. And here's the key. How does Josiah respond to it? Does he reject it? No. He embraces it. He embraces it with a humble heart, with a fervent heart, a passionate heart for the Lord. Moving on to verse 12. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Achbor, uh, the son of Micaiah, uh, Shaphan, the scribe, and Asiah, the servant of the king, saying, going to verse 13, go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah, concerning, they're going to inquire from Huldah the prophetess, concerning the words of this book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us so when josiah he hears the torah he wasn't just convicted guess what he had his eyes opened he now gained understanding he now understood that the people his people had not been walking with the lord properly and he understood his people were also being faced with the wrath of the living god how does josiah respond does he say that's interesting no This is how he responds. Moving on to verse 19. Because, and this is how the Lord responds to him, I should say. Because your heart was tender 
And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord, moving on. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. And the parallel I want to draw here is that there are many believers who authentically love the Lord within the church. And they simply don't know a thing about the Shabbat or, more importantly, how the Lord feels about it. It doesn't mean that they're not saved. It doesn't mean that they're lost. It simply means they don't know. And I'm not going to get into the aspect, and I, I, I could go down this road but I, I don't want to get into the aspect there. We, we need to make a distinction. There's a difference between obedience, having a humble heart, and outright rebellion. Are there people, are there pastors, are there teachers, unfortunately, who have rejected the truth that will not hear the Torah? Yes. And are they taking a lot of people captive and making a lot of stumbling happen? Yes, unfortunately. But that is not the case for everyone. And so you, you don't want to fall into the, the concept of putting them in that classification. Don't do it. We need to be patient. We need to keep bringing the truth. And we need to take heed to what we covered today. And we need to show them that this is about growth. This is not a works-based system. This is about the fear of the Lord. This is about respecting the knowledge of the Lord. It's all part of a beautiful relationship with Yeshua. Amen. With that said, we're going to rise. We're going to do our battle cry. Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God, it is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And you know, we say this every week, but I'm going to tell you with each passing day, the world is getting darker and darker and darker and our enemies are mounting more ferociously against us as time goes by. This passage is going to become more precious to you as we go into the future. I promise you that. And this is how we respond. We will go to war. We will not fear. We will not faint. And we will not give in to the flesh. And we will not give in to our enemies. Today we will stand and we will fight. And we will conquer through the might of our Lord Yeshua. And let us pray as we've been taught to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This music team can come up. We're going to close in prayer. Abba, Father, we just give you praise and glory through the might, through the name of your glorious Son, the Messiah Yeshua, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Lord, we just pray for your spirit. This, these days are dark, and I, I, I start to look around, and I, I, I see a false sense of security 
just because of uh, a new presidential candidate. And I am, I am torn over the potential of the lack and, and the apathy to repent and knowing that there will be no escaping your judgment upon this nation without repentance and that we cannot put our trust in man and put our hope in flesh. Lord, I pray that you raise up, you raise up an army, you raise us up as, as your warriors, Lord, to war against the evil that is happening and to be bold and to stand up against evil, to proclaim your love for Israel, your love for the Jewish people. Give us opportunities, Lord, to make a difference in this life. Give us your, of your Ruach HaKodesh. Give us your strength. Give us your wisdom, your understanding. Make our paths clear, Lord. Let us walk and to bring you glory. It's about glorifying your name. Lord, remember the people you've created and have mercy. We know that it's, you're not, it is not in your heart that even one should perish. Let us hear, let the people that watch this ministry, Lord, fill us with your truth and let us make a difference. Let us make a change. Let us make a massive impact that they begin to talk about the name of Yeshua everywhere in a group of people who are totally radical and fanatical about who you are as the king of Israel, the king of the Jews. Here we are, send us, Lord. Send us as your people, equip us as your people, humble us as your people, purify us and forgive our sins as your people. It's our heart, Lord. We want to be purified. We want to be holy. We want to be profitable vessels so that on that day you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We just pray these things in the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen.